As you are being seated and now greeting all of your neighbors, it sounds like, um, would you turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, where we will continue um, in our study of this book. Um, and yes, be comfortable, make your way. Um, I'll introduce all of our friends. Uh, we have a few extra friends here with us this morning, and I'll introduce those to you um, in a little bit. But for now, uh, we will continue uh, in this study of Hebrews. If you were not with us last week, as many of you were not, um, we, I want to catch you up a little bit. Uh, we started Hebrews chapter 4 and uh, began through uh, looking as we have worked our way through uh, this text over the last number of weeks and months. And, and in chapter 4, um, the author of this letter uh, is writing to this church and um, explaining to them, in a sense, the urgency of responding to Christ. And we're going to hear, and just uh, as we get into the end of this uh, chapter, hear more clearly um, what he is speaking to us today. But I want to just recount uh, from last week the urgency that he had, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. What the author of this letter has been doing is trying to illuminate for all of us and for the original hearers of this letter how they are to live in the face of great persecution and all of the challenges that life can bring. This letter was written to Jewish Christians, Jewish Christians who were residing more than likely in Rome and as such were dealing with a lot of challenges. You can imagine the persecution that they might have been facing um, as they just tried to live their lives. A persecution that I say you can imagine we can't really know. It is different than anything that we would ever face. And as he is writing to them, he is reminding them of their faith in Christ. And because they were Jewish Christians, he could call back to the Old Testament. He could call back to the things that they would have known very readily. It would have been almost like second nature to them. Um, like some of you, I understand, there's probably some of you in this room that have been raised in the church. You've been a part of the church since Sunday school, and you can recount stories of the Bible. Your knowledge of sort of the scriptures is pretty thorough, and you have been taught that from a young age. Well, these Jewish believers, they were taught the Bibles, their scriptures thoroughly. They could tell you uh, all about anything that there was contained in them. And so he's using what they knew, sort of their history, to illustrate the greatness of Christ, the power and the bigness of Christ, how big he is. And he wants to do that. He wants them to see because they're facing great challenges. They're facing many challenges as they are persecuted. And so he began in chapter 4, and he says, while the promise of entering his rest, that's Jesus' rest, still stands, take hold of the hope of the gospel. He didn't want them to take lightly the message of the cross and the message of Jesus. And he wanted that there was an urgency with which he spoke. But as the great Martin Luther once said, after terrifying us of this chapter, after terrifying us, the apostle now comforts us. He said at the beginning of chapter 4, we should fear that we would miss the message of the gospel. Just as so many Old Testament saints or Old Testament characters missed the message of what God had done through all of our story of life. Many missed Jesus. He didn't want us to miss Jesus, and there was this urgency to that. Here, now he comforts us with the bigness of Jesus. 
and his role as our high priest. The heroes of the faith that would have been really well known to these people, these original hearers, were figures that they would have quickly thought of when they began to talk about their faith or consider what God was doing in their life. But none of them, none of these heroes of the faith, these characters, Moses, Joshua, those, even the angels that were talked about in chapters 1 and 2, none of those characters would hold the place, the same importance or power in their, daily li- or in their lives as those that were active in their daily life, which were the priests. See, there was a priesthood that was given to the people that was to walk with them and care for them and ultimately to point them to God. The Old Testament gives a very extensive job description for the priests and very clear responsibilities. Um, We don't follow that in this New Testament day as the New Testament church was established by Christ and there was a leadership structure that was appointed with elders and deacons. We don't look in the, the same today, but there was the role of the priest that they would have understood very, very clearly. And essentially, you could say these men appointed by God had two primary responsibilities, to represent God to the people by teaching them God's word and his law, to display and to articulate, this is who God is. Let me teach you about him. And the second was, was to represent the people to God as they led them to repent of their sins and ultimately as these priests made sacrifices for sin on their behalf. This is what the priest did. And one day a year, the high priest was able to enter into what was called the Holy of Holies. And as he did that, the reason he did that was to make sacrifice on behalf of the sins of the people. This is the most holy day of the year on the Jewish calendar. We still hear about this day. Perhaps you have heard of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the most holy day on the Jewish calendar, and the reason it is the most holy day on the Jewish calendar is because it is the day of atonement. It is when the priests were allowed to enter in to the Holy of Holies and make sacrifice for sin. Yom, day, Kippur, literally means covering. It was the day of blood covering. All the way back in the Old Testament, we see this picture, this symbolic Blood covering, covering the sins of the people. Ultimately, what Christ covered for us through his own blood was pointed to through this ceremony. And so here, in this letter, the author of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is not just greater than Moses. He made that very clear. Not just greater than Joshua, made that very clear. Not just greater than the angels, even. He's made that very clear. But now, he turns to he's greater He is the ultimate high priest. And here's why this is so important for us today. This is why we need to hear this message from the text. We talk so often, and rightly so. We look in our Bibles and we see that Jesus made sacrifice for our sins. There was an atonement made. There was a penalty paid for the sins of the world. Jesus' shed blood. But here's what we don't often consider, and I think sometimes we forget. Jesus is not just the sacrifice for our sins. He is not just just his shed blood. That is not all that is contained within the power 
and the bigness of Christ. He is also the priest, the high priest who made sacrifice for sins. As he took it upon himself to lay down his life for you and for me, he is our great high priest. It was his own shed blood, yes, but he came to make atonement for our sins so that there would no longer be required a blood offering, but his blood would suffice. And so let's look closely at how we know and how we can have confidence, as this scripture will call us to, to have confidence to come to God. Isn't that what we all want? To be able to come to God with some degree of confidence? Not to feel as if we have to tiptoe to the Father? As if we aren't able to come to Him and have relationship with God? Whether you know it or not, what is written on your heart is a desire for a relationship with your Creator. And we can confidently come into a relationship with our creator because we have a high priest whose name is Jesus. This is the good news and the hope that we have. And so how can we know this? Well, let's look closely at verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The first thing that we see here is that he describes us. He says this matter-of-factly. It's not as if this was in question or there was any doubt about this. Since then, we have a great high priest. We, this is written again to these believers residing in a place where they are being persecuted. They are being told, hey, you have a great high priest. And here is what this high priest has done. He has passed through the heavens. Back to our sort of Old Testament study, and what would happen on this day of atonement, on this holy of holy days, the high priest was allowed to enter in to the holy of holies where God's presence dwelt. The high priest was able to go and enter in. I don't have time this morning, but there are many maps or figures. You can look these up online, but essentially there is the temple that was created where God's people would come and would worship and fellowship with God. But there was this special place, this set aside, this part that was this place that was set apart from all the others with a curtain and only the high priest, not even all of the other Levitical priests, which, which there were many of those, but there was one high priest appointed by God until he was dead that was allowed to enter in to the Holy of Holies and he would go behind the curtain. And that curtain separated this holy of holies from all of the rest of the people. He would go out of the sight of the people and into the presence of God, and he would perform his priestly duties, which was to make a blood sacrifice for the sins of the people for that year. And they would do this on an annual basis. Do you remember what happened when Jesus died? When he breathed his last breath, he said, It is finished. In doing so, he said that the penalty for the sins of the world have been paid for with my life. The sacrificial system that has been required for God's people to enter into a relationship with him is now finished. 
And in that moment, you might remember this from your gospel stories, the sky turned dark and the veil was torn in two. The curtain was torn. That curtain that divided the Holy of Holies and separated and prevented the people from entering into that place was torn because no longer would the priests have to enter into this place in order to make atonement for sins, but the payment had been made. And all God's people, as we heard the scripture read for us by James, now there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, and his mediation, his work on the cross on our behalf to pay the full and right penalty for sin has been fully paid. And a veil was torn, the curtain was torn. And so the author of Hebrews knows this, and he calls on this group of believers that are hearing this read to remember that Jesus has done this. And that's why he says he passed through the heavens, just like the, whole, the high priests of old. He had gone into the place that he, could no lo- he couldn't be seen any longer, passing through, gone into the presence of the Father on our behalf. This is what Jesus did for us as our great high priest. And we see this picture of the curtain painted for us with the language of the heavens. All of this is to demonstrate for us that we have a high priest in Jesus who is much greater than the earthly high priest that had cared for the people and gone to do their work on the people's behalf. Think back to the promised land where Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land of God's rest. Jesus welcomes us into, he entered into the presence of the Father and welcomes us in. Where the high priest entered and came back out only to do that over and over again every single year, Jesus passed through the heavens and sat down at the right hand of the Father, making final and complete atonement for sin. We have a high priest who's passed through the curtain, passed through and entered into the presence of God, Jesus, the Son of God. And he's done that for us. We don't any longer have to wonder how we can come confidently before God because Jesus has welcomed us. That is why then he says, let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold fast. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of Jesus' work on my behalf. I forget too often. I get caught up in the day-to-day activities of my life. I get caught up in the stress that I'm feeling, whatever burdens I'm carrying, whatever is going on in my life, and I get caught up in those things, and I forget sometimes that Jesus has paid for my sins, atoned for my sins, and allows me to come to God with confidence and with hope. And I need to be reminded of that. And this is why he says to us, he encourages us, and it's really with a strong exhortation, hold fast to the confession, hold fast to what you know is true, what you believe, what you have been told about Jesus. He exhorts us strongly, hold fast to that. We must remember what Jesus has done. We must tell ourselves every single day what Jesus has done. And we must hold on to that truth when the world offers so many different 
stories. I think one of the challenges and the reasons that as Christians, as people who have rightly placed our faith in Jesus Christ, placed our faith when we say that meaning, placed our faith in what he did on the cross for us. We forget that and we get consumed with all of the other messages that the world has to offer. And we get consumed with all of the doubts and all of the questions and we forget. Hold fast to it, friends. Remember what Jesus has done. Remind yourself of what Jesus has done every single moment of every day because it's only what Jesus has done which allows you to then come to the Father with confidence as he calls us to do that. Why can we do this? Why must we hold fast and why can we come to the Father? Verse 15 explains this to us. Because we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Rather, we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. This is one of the great mysteries of Jesus, right? How is it that Jesus could be familiar with all of our sin, could be familiar with our temptations? We know it says here that he did not sin, so how could he be familiar with the things that we struggle with? This isn't a great illustration, but it's the best that I can come up with. Sorry, you're stuck with it. When my boys were little, I would wrestle with them or throw the ball with them. And periodically, because of their size, when they were very, very little, um, Laurel, my wife, instructed me that I couldn't harm them. And so... um, I would, you know, tie my hand behind my back and we'd wrestle and I'd kind of be one-armed, you know, at a point. Or if we're throwing the ball or sort of, I'd squat down and I'd get on their level. I might be throwing. And some of you know if you try to throw a ball from your knees, you you lose a little bit of power there. I had the ability, I knew what it was like to wrestle with both my arms and be able to walk around. I knew what it felt like to throw a football or throw a ball standing upright and be able to, you know, put some oomph into it. But I would diminish all those things as I was having fun with my boys, I would diminish, I would sort of step back from the strength that I had so that I could care well for them and so I could enjoy that with them. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment, and I get this is just, that barely gives us a taste of what we're trying to describe here. But imagine for a moment the God of the universe who created every single thing that we see right now, including yourself. He created you. He knows every detail of every cell structure in your body. That God came and was made to be like you. That God who needed nothing. One of the things that makes God God, makes Jesus God, is that he lacks nothing. If he needed something, then he wouldn't be God. But the fact that he lacks nothing made him God. He is God. And yet he came to be like us. He came face to face with sickness and with death and with hunger. Can you imagine the God of the universe, again, who before he took on flesh needed nothing? Can you imagine the first time Jesus got hungry, felt his stomach rumble a little bit? This is strange. He's familiar with our weakness. Just as I became familiar with my son's weakness or their smallness and their gentleness and their frailty, Jesus is very familiar with our frailty. He is familiar 
and knows what it is like to be like us and to need and to grieve, as we talked about a number of weeks ago, and to hurt all of these things Jesus dealt with. He was lied to by the devil. And yet when he heard those lies, he didn't forsake God's word. He's dealt with everything. Do you know, if you want to peel the onion back, if you think of, just consider your own sinfulness. Just go back to 9.15 this morning, whatever you're doing, it was probably sinful. And uh, just because that's in our nature, not because you were doing anything crazy. But anyway... Just imagine whatever that was. If you peel the onion back on that, ultimately it comes down to a weakness, a frailty that you are not, you're, you're frustrated by. I can't do this, so I'm angry. They have that, and I'm going to compare myself to them, and so I'm frustrated. I believe I should have this, and I don't have this. My pride is swelling. Whatever the struggle that we might face, it's because we've been lied to. We've believed the lies of the world, and we've been tempted in those ways. Jesus heard all of those same lies by the enemy, and yet he was without sin. This is why, by the way, Jesus was an acceptable sacrifice for the Father. See, if Jesus had sinned in those moments, guess what would have been required? Another sacrifice. Someone else would have had to come because Jesus needed atonement for himself, but he did not sin. And that's why when he says... At the cross, it is finished. And then weeks later, he ascends to the right hand of the Father and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. The confidence we have is that that atonement was satisfactory to God. That God said, yes, that sacrifice was enough. And so no longer would sin require any greater or a different atonement, a different payment. But Jesus was the high priest who made the sacrifice, and that sacrifice was himself. Because of this, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us. Some of you need to hear whatever you are struggling with in this very moment, the grief in your heart, the pain that you're walking through, the temptation that seems to win more often than it loses. You have a high priest whose name is Jesus who is familiar with your weakness. He is very aware of that. He is not distant from you. He is with you. He understands, which is why we can draw near to the throne of what? Of grace. The throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Too often, what happens when we sin is we will not draw near to the very one who will minister to us. We refuse to draw near to the grace that is offered to us through Jesus. Rather, we try and figure out our own way to atone for the sins that we have committed. In the Levitical system of the priesthood, in those Old Testament days, Only the priests could draw near to God. Only the high priest could enter into that holy of holies. Now through Christ, friends, we can draw near to God. We can draw near and we can receive his grace and his mercy. And we can do that with confidence. 
You know in your own life stories, I can't possibly know all of the circumstances in this room, but you know in your own life stories in this very moment, when I call you to draw near to Christ, you think to yourself, I'm not sure. I don't know if I want to do that. There's a bit of fear and trepidation. Should I come to God with this? If he only understood or knew or dealt with this, this is why it is so important what we are hearing from God's word this morning. We have a high priest who already knows everything that you are dealing with, is familiar with it, has paid a price for it, and so now come confidently to God. Come to him and receive his grace and his mercy. Don't run from God. This is why you've heard me say this many times in this church. As I meet with people and have conversations with those of you that are part of our faith family or just people who sort of come for a visit and are looking and considering, I want to know more about this God. When I see people running away from the Lord, when I see people distancing themselves from the community of faith, when I see people saying, I don't want to, my concern for them is that they don't understand, you might not fully understand the grace and the mercy of Christ. You need to know that you have a high priest who is familiar and offers you grace and mercy. And the very sin that you think causes you to need to run from God, Jesus is saying, run to me. Come to me. Draw near with confidence to me, knowing that I am the high priest who has made payment for that sin. So as we close this morning, I want to give you three things, three encouragements from this text. The first is, and this is probably the hardest, we need to acknowledge our own sinfulness. This isn't a message and this isn't words to them over there. This is a word from God for you, to you. What Jesus has done was for you. And we need to acknowledge our sinfulness. Too often, the lies of the world, the lies of the enemy, are, try to tempt us to believe that we don't need to deal with sinfulness, that we don't need to have an issue with that. Can you, I just want you to consider this for a moment. We've been talking about these Old Testament saints, these people that would go and the priest would make atonement for sin on their behalf. Do you know that you don't see stories in the Old Testament of them saying, uh, Mr. High Priest, I don't think you need to go in there. I think we're good. I don't think there was really anything that happened this year that required any atonement. I don't think any blood needs to be shed for that because, I mean, we're pretty chill. We're cool. You don't see that. You don't ever see the people arguing over whether atonement needs to be made. They're not pushing back on that. Rather, they come to God fearfully and reverently, recognizing that the priests are doing a duty required. Yes, our sins need to be atoned for. So perhaps the very thing that you just need to start with this morning is just acknowledge, yes, in your own heart, in your life, you have sinned against a holy God. We all have. The Bible says, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. We have sinned against a holy God. If Jesus, if we haven't, by the way, 
Why did Jesus come to die? Why would the God of the universe humble himself to take on flesh, to walk amongst us, and then lay down his life on a cross? Was it for nothing? I assure you it was not for nothing. It was for the sins of the people that he loves, the people that he wants to offer grace and mercy to, the people that he came to atone for. And so we must acknowledge our sinfulness. This was us. It's for me. It's for you. So perhaps this morning, this invitation is just as the worship team is going to lead us in a moment or two, just before God and God alone, maybe for the very first time in your life, I get it, Father. I'm not like you. I'm not holy. I am sinful. I live in ways that are counter to your word. I don't obey you. I go my own way more than I go your way. In whatever ways or whatever language you might use, acknowledge your sinfulness to God. Then second, some of us, a little bit on the opposite side of the coin here, don't struggle to acknowledge our sin. We're quick to recognize, yes, you know what, Father, I I messed that up. But what we try to do is rather than pressing into the grace and the mercy of Christ, we strive to atone for our own sins. We think maybe we can make it right before God under our own strength and own power. Let me just tell you very plainly, you cannot, you cannot do that. Jesus was the right and acceptable sacrifice to the Father because he knew no sin. He was sinless. And so he could be a sacrifice for sin. The spotless lamb of the Old Testament was a symbolic of he was perfect. He was cleansed. There was no, no, nothing wrong with him, no defect pointing to a Savior who had no defect. You and I, we're sinful people, as we just said. We can't atone for our own sins. There's no sacrifice for you to make. There's no self-punishment for you to do. There's no good that you can try to do to balance things out in life. And maybe if I do this a little bit over here, that'll kind of balance the scales over there. There's nothing that you can do to atone for the reality of your sins. So just stop trying. And when you stop trying, perhaps, then you can confess that sin to God, repent of it, which literally means just say, Father, I want to turn away from that. I don't want that to have any hold on my life any longer. And then third, when you've done those first two things, you can draw near to Jesus with confidence. You can know and draw near to the God of the universe who made it a million degrees today for some purpose that's going to accomplish his glory. Perhaps just to show you how weak you are and how needy you are. But you can come to him, into his presence with confidence. I told you about those Old Testament saints that never balked about their sinfulness. Yes, what else they rarely did? They didn't go to the Father with confidence. They went with fear and trepidation. The high priest would tie a rope around his ankle in case he died in God's presence. They could drag him out. That's how anxious they were about coming into God's presence. And yet, we, through Christ, our great high priest, can come to the Father confidently and receive his grace and mercy. We can come to him with worship. 
because of that grace and mercy. What an amazing gift we have in a great high priest. So as the worship team leads us this morning, we respond and we sing this great song of our faith that calls us and reminds us that we can draw near to Christ. Perhaps you need to sit in your chair and just confess your sins to the Father, repent of those sins, and allow the Holy Spirit to draw you close as you draw near to Him. Perhaps you, knowing what Christ has done, you want to just confidently praise Him for your grace, His grace and mercy in your life. So whatever it is, let's respond. Let's draw near to Jesus, our great high priest, who is seated at the right hand of the Father right now, because once and for all, my sins and your sins have been atoned for and paid for, and we can run to him. And so let's do that as we sing. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.